and welcome to Abbey Archives, a Redwall reread featuring one pagan and one Christian going over the series to see what aged like fine strawberry wine and what aged like milk. I'm Izzy, I use CCR pronouns. And I'm Kit, I use she, her pronouns. You can find us and content for the podcast, including art and links to other Redwall-related things, at Abbey Archives on Tumblr, and technically still Reddit, though I have not touched that account in months. <laughs> I keep forgetting it exists. Definitely not Twitter anymore, because we're not touching no. out the hot poker. Yeah. I vaguely, like, half-resurrected my Twitter to post something so that, like, a Minecraft YouTuber I really like can see it because he only has Twitter. Unfortunate. And I'm just like, yeah, unfortunate. He says he's not leaving it until it officially is dead. <laughs> and I'm like, where are you gonna go, man? Anyway. Right. So, uh, it's been an entire summer. Yeah, we, the last recording we did was in May. Uh, because uh, Kit started a new job. Well, it's not just that I started new jobs, but the job I was doing, we switched over to four tens. So that was like 10 hours a day, four days a week. And by the time I was done with that, it's like I had three day weekends. Yes. But it's like, I didn't want to have to blast through the book and then record and do all that because I would be tired and just not in the mood. And yeah, so we, it was a lot. And not just that, but I also ran away to Vancouver again for a couple of weeks and hung out with some friends. (laughs) <laughs> which was very very fun i had a very good time i had my entire life eaten by the worst planned trans pride event ever oh god that's right yeah so so my thing if you know me and and you're part of like the servers i'm in it, during Pride Month, we were doing, like, my local community was planning a trans Pride event because regular Pride we hold in October here because it's so fucking hot. So we were like, okay, trans Pride. Uh, and we were partnering with, and I'm going to name drop these people because I've name dropped them everywhere because they suck. Um, trans Family Support Services, which is based out of California. And you may be asking, Izzy, don't you live in Alabama? Yes. <laughs> Why is this this organization from California helping out in Alabama? Well, because at the time when uh, the community first started working with them, it wasn't a bad idea. Unfortunately, the people who run that organization don't actually give a shit about us. And so what followed was the worst three months of my life. (laughs) I'm so sorry, Izzy. (laughs) There's write-ups I've done on it. I've talked about it ad nauseum at this point. Basically, don't work with Trans Family Support Services if you can help it. They, they're they very good at helping their communities in California. And I'm not going to hold that against them because they do good things locally. Mm-hmm. In their own local communities. When they come into other communities... They don't know what they're doing. They don't do the right amount of research that they need to do on those communities. And they expect things of these communities that are impossible. And we had a nightmare planning this entire thing. It went off without a hitch. Like, and that wasn't because of them. That was because of the local organizers and activists. So, uh, I actually was, uh, removed from my position as, uh, head of entertainment. Uh, in a very fun series of events. I had not quit. I was removed. Um, I've 
Again, I've talked about this over and over in multiple places. If you want to know about it, you can message me and ask, and I can send you the write-up I did about it. <sighs> I'm done with them. No more of that. But that ate, like, most of my stuff. Yeah. It's only... I am only, like, July and most of August was spent recuperating and just being basically a dead person. Kit, Kit mm-hmm. knows. I have been dead Mm -hmm. for the past like two months and it's only like the end of august and beginning of september where we are now that i've started to really be myself again after being completely burned out on anything because of that it was rough it was so rough oh my god i never i i want to keep doing local things i never want to work with that organization again yeah very very fair But after all of that nonsense, Kit has had a much better summer than I. I did have I. a very good summer. <laughs> so, like, my boss was very, very pleased. We got, like, we got the cleaning done, like, a, like almost a month early before school started. Like, all the deep cleaning, all of the classrooms, we got all of them cleaned. We got, like, the gyms were cleaned. The locker rooms were cleaned. We got the auditorium cleaned. We were cleaning, like, by the end of July through the majority of August... We were just going, oh, crap, what what do we do with ourselves? Like, what, what do we clean now? Like, we've cleaned everything. So we were just, like, going through. You gotta get into the grout between the tiles. Uh, actually, we did. Oh, my we God. We actually did. There like, was a joke. Like, um, I got to spend, like, two days cleaning the bathrooms upstairs, and then Amanda and her kid did the cleaning downstairs. That was, like, the last thing I did before I took my vacation um, at the end of July. So, like, we actually finished that. Before August, like we were already looking for stuff to do. Oh my god! So we did the grout, and like the last day, like the day before school started, like the week before school started, like the last thing I did was I realized that nobody had cleaned the um, single stall bathroom, which is like it's meant for teachers and like the handicapped kids, but like basically anybody who's a teacher or knows a teacher uses it anyway, you know. Um, Yay! And so, like, I realized, oh, no one actually got down and did a really good cleaning of that one, even though, like, one girl said she did, but the more we looked at, we're like, mm, nah, they, did, did you? <laughs> so, I actually, did so, you? like, all the teachers are, like, running around, like, like, oh, my God, it's the last day. We've got to get ready. Oh, my God, uh, we got to get everything ready. The kids are coming tomorrow. And I'm down there in the bathroom just, like, scrubbing away. And one teacher walks by and she goes, you're doing a really good job. And I'm like, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like don't don't look at the fact that i spent two weeks painting the custodian room with a dragon and a mural because we had nothing else to do my boss told me to just play with the paint <laughs> which is another thing i got to do listen, yeah listen I, the kids probably fucking love they that. don't get to see it because our, oh, our cust- it's a secret it's a, it's it a is secret. like it's a secret for us custodians Although I did show the uh, drama teacher and she was very tickled pink with it. And she's like, well, maybe I'll have you paint something in my room. And I'm like, "Uh oh, and then. Oh, no, you've shown your talent. talent. Oh, no. And then Amanda, my other coworker, she she grabbed the art teacher and dragged him down there to look at it. Like, why did you bring the art teacher down here? I haven't touched a brush in 10 years and you're dragging the art teacher down here. (laughs) He's going to judge me. Well, oh, first of all, Kate, this is what, like a middle school? High school. High school? That art teacher has seen... <laughs> you remember being in high school art class? I do. 
Oh. That art teacher is probably like, oh my god, this is a breath of fresh air. Quite possibly. <laughs> not to, not to, this is not me being mean to high school artists. High school artists just have a lot of emotions that they have to, that they, I say have to, that they typically tend to work out in their artwork. Mm-hmm. One of the pieces I did for art when we were learning how to play with pastels is I made a cake made of flesh. Oh, I hate that, Izzy. Why? Uh, I don't have it anymore. Uh, but like I, I did a, pa- I did, I, I did in pastel, a cake of flesh. I, I hate that. I hate everything about that sentence, Izzy. Why would you do this? Uh, because I was a teenager. <laughs> so like that art teacher was probably like, oh, thank God, it's a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> Something simple and nice and not knives and guns and flesh and blood and weird sexual energy that I don't want to think about. It is not by my hand that I was once again given flesh. <laughs> okay, anyway, so... <laughs> yeah. So the past, past couple of months with me has gotten a lot better. I've started getting back into the stuff that I actually enjoy doing. It also doesn't help that summer is when my seasonal affective disorder kicks in. Because mm-hmm, you, you like you like cool and dark. And... I like the cold and the dark and the, the, the not this. The not soup. I live in soup. Why are you buying clothes at the soup store? Fuck you! <laughs> Okay, I also have one more thing to share before we actually start reading the book. Um, so, remember... No, oh, fuck, we were supposed to we're read supposed the book? To... Shit! So, everyone remembers, I'm you. sure, that Izzy talks about how Seer likes to bookmark their books with a Pokemon card. Or Yu-Gi-Oh? Yu-Gi-Oh. Pokemon. Pokemon. It was the Yu-Gi-Oh card was one okay. I found. It was like, what the fuck are you doing so in here? So, I was reading my book, going through it, and all of a sudden... Out falls a card to a defunct card game called Netrunner, and it has a quite... Like, three people in our audience just gasped. Possibly, yeah. Called Netrunner, and it's called Pacifica Regional AI, and I'm just like, oh, of course. And the picture is of a disembodied brain with eyeballs, surrounded by cool electric lightning and Photoshop effects. And it's like, of course... So I found supposedly some Netrunner cards are worth quite yeah. a bit, and there's other ones that are like not worth anything. Yeah. But it is an out of print card yeah. game. So although like there's like rumors, of course there's always gonna be rumors that like Wizards of the Coast might actually bring it back. You know, people they won't. But people can hope. I don't blame them for hoping. It's kid. It's Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> they only want money. They sure do only want money and to mistreat their employees. Oh, into the book now. We are reading the first half of the first part. I'm sorry, there's really no of the bellmakers. There is not a better way to word this. Uh, It's just funny every time. Uh, This is chapters one through six. Uh, content warnings so far are book typical violence. I've decided that we just kind of need to have that one on there all the time. Uh, slavery, violence against children and child endangerment, as well as hostages. There is also Uh, some, uh, shaming of a mute, like shaming of a disabled person or humiliation of a disabled person. Ableism. Ableism. Yeah. Um, otherwise, like, I feel like this is probably one of the more tame openings we've had in a lot of ways. Like, 
it's interesting because uh, like the book right out the gate just kind of throws you into the action, mm-hmm. but it's also like not as much. It's I like, don't know. It's out weird. of all the books, so. this one feels the most like a fairy tale to me, which is probably why I've been struggling yeah. to actually get interested in it. To be fair, it does. The very first bit of this book is a little like, little like, uh, uh, piece of prose. Which does, yeah. Uh, so to to get us into it, many warriors own the glory, but the saying in Redwall is, "This is the bellmaker's story because the dream was his." Which I do like. Um. Yeah, I, I added that in at the beginning because I was like, well, this is important. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of why it feels like a fairy tale, because it kind of mm-hmm. is. Um, we, Yeah. So we we open, as usual, at the Abbey. Uh, it is a stormy, end of wintry kind of day. We're in the gatehouse. There's an old squirrel who is preparing to tell a story to a like a bunch of dibbins. Like the, the gatehouse is packed with dibbins. A gaggle of dibbins? A diplomacy of dibbins? Uh, I don't think there are diplomacy. <laughs> dibbins don't practice diplomacy. Dibbins practice dibbinomacy. That sounds like a spell. Like, what, what, what kind of a specialty do you focus in? Dibbinomacy. <laughs> he tells them to listen out for a knock on the door that means that breakfast is here and like we get this cute bit where like they all like cup their hands to their ears to listen and all they hear is like the rain outside uh and then the there is a big knock and the door is open the door opens to a a hedgehog who is equally as old as the squirrel i just realized who these two are and he <laughs> i won't spoil it but go ahead yeah, he delivers Pearl Queen Puddin and tells the curious Dibbins that it's made with a little bit of everything and memories. A little mole asks if this means that they get a story, and they're told yes. It's a real story brought together from many points of views, but most of all, it is Joseph the Bellmaker's story because he was the one who had the dream. And this is where it's very fairy tale esque because it is. A lot of different people's like views coming together to make this story and like they do say that like they got everyone's point of views like they intentionally went out to make sure they got the different point of views which i do like yeah it's good uh i'm gonna just it aside i really like the map for this art in this book is very good like the chapter art and it is so good like i saw the art for like because this this first bit is actually like a a a chapter that happens before because you know all the Redwall books are split into three books this this first bit happens before the start of the first book within this book and then we get the chapter art which is stylistically extremely different from the past mm-hmm. few books but it is very good is it the same is it the I same don't, cause like I think he wrote I think they rotate through artists because like when you see some of the other descriptions, I can see things that are like, yeah, it's similar to the arts we've had before. But all in all, I'd say like the art for this book so far has been more solid and not quite as goofy. Illustrations are copyrighted to Alan Curlis. Okay, I guess it is the same. And name. that's not the same no, artist. Okay. That's not the right. same artist. That's a different one. So now we have our second artist. So we've got Alan and they're Curlis. Just, they're these delicious like black ink, like woodcut looking arts almost 
but it's just this beautiful, like, you've got the stippling, yeah. you've got the little bit of cross-hatching. It's just very good. I love this art. Yeah, and the artist for the other books was Gary Chalk. Mm-hmm. No offense, Gary. <laughs> no, I love Gary's art. It's just it's one of those things where it's like, huh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a new artist. Uh, so the story starts with our villain, a feared fox who goes by a, a few names. The Fox Wolf or Ergen Nagru. He has a mate, Silvermord, and a horde of rats. And they rule the cold north. Uh, but but Ergen knows that even he cannot defeat winter. Having wrecked the north, they yield to the fact that there is no more food there for them. So they gather into three ships and sail southward. Basically, he's been it such a, rough... a tyrant that there's no food left. Like, he just ran everything to the there's ground. There's no food, there's no people, there's nothing. It is a wasteland. Mm-hmm. Everyone. This is what happens when you're a bad villain. You're a fisher king and your kingdom will die. Yep. It is a rough and harrowing voyage beset by icebergs and great beasts. They do find their way south, though, and upon sighting land, Foxwolf and his mate bay their defiance to the sky. The raggedy ships and their crews are an odd sight to the south, but here they are, and ready to wreak havoc. And, like, part of me, like, there's two things. I do, like, part of me's just like, are we doing, are we really doing, like, it's a story within a story thing? But that's well established by now. Again, we've hit the books where we're definitely seeing the pattern is established. Um... Yep. But also, like, part of me is curious, like, did they interview any of the villains to get their side of the story? <laughs> um, maybe they interviewed some of the maybe. rats. And sec... Because here's the thing. The... No, go In these battles, like, typically, not all of the horde right. dies. A lot of the horde actually manages to escape because they'll just straight up just flee. They will uh, go but The horde AWOL. will typically flee um, because, yeah, they don't... So they could have sought out some of these these rats and gotten their parts mm-hmm. of the stories. Yeah, that's very true. And like, it's like, I feel like this book, Brian finally gave up on pretending like other animals respect vermin because we straight up have like one character go, ugh, rats, never did like rats. It's like, okay, Brian's just like given up all pretense then. Stares at my bookshelf at the book we've yet to get Soon. to. Soon. Soon. <laughs> it's just like that, you know, like that little scare chord, the... <laughs> that's that's it. Every right. time we turn yep. turn around, there's there's the outcast of Redwall staring at us. So we, we then meet Rab Steenbattle, who is observing his old lost home, the Castle Floret. Wait, did I type that wrong? Was it stream? Bra- st- was it steam battle or stream? I think it was. Uh, I don't remember. Hang on. Does it look? Like it's I stream. It's stream. Stream battle. I for some reason the R didn't. I was typing this on my phone. Yeah, I get it. Okay, so sorry. You want to start that over? We then meet Rab Stream Battle, <laughs> who is observing his old lost home, the Castle Floret. He doesn't have time to wax nostalgic over the towers, moats, and drawbridges built into the cliff. He's watching for a signal to set off an escape plan for three of his friends, 
Gale Squirrel King, Queen Serena, and Truffin. Okay, again, two things. One, the castle being named Florit, I just imagine it as like a giant pink cauliflower sitting on the side of a cliff. Um, (laughs) Because my brain goes to like cauliflower florets, um, which are delicious. It, Florit probably also has something to do with, like, trees. I'm sure. Or or Google. maybe actual flowers. To Google! Hold on. Florit. Hold on to what? I can't Florit. hold on to my horses. They're outside. Florit, a noun. One of the small flowers making up a composite flower head... One of the flowering stems making up a head of cauliflower or broccoli, a small flower. So, like, each of the individual flowers on cauliflower or broccoli is known as a floret. Mm-hmm. And secondly, like, I'm really curious. It's like, how how did you become a king? Why is there a kingdom here? How, like, is this a hereditary kingdom? And, of course, like, we know, like, these are, like, the good kings and queens because they're not vermin. It's a squirrel. Of course, a squirrel will always be a good leader, despite the fact that we have seen savage squirrel tribes. Uh, again, heavy air quotes around savage. But we've seen savage squirrel tribes in the past. And it's like, do they do they trade with Redwall? Like, is this a farming community? Like, what is he ruling over? Do we have villages? We never see the villages, I'm certain. It's just like, Brian, you've dropped like this cool little tantalizing tidbit and you're never going to explore it again. Uh, it's Scotland. <laughs> Scotland! <laughs> or actually, it would probably be more like Wales or something, because this is Southsward. Yeah, I was going to say. This is what this <laughs> land is called, is Southsward. So it's, it's, I don't, it's weird. It's weird. It's, it's weird. It's Brian just going, I, I, I make the, con- it, I make the continuity. It's my rules. My city now. My city. No, it's our city now, Brian. <laughs> so we learn Nagru, aka the fox wolf, is holding the castle and that Rab worries he'd sniffed out the escape plan. He's lost to bitter memories again. How he'd argued with Gale, who hadn't heeded his warnings about the fox wolf. How he and his utter crew of guards had left the castle in protest. How his friend was now captive after choosing to be a proper king and display a hospitality. Sorry, go ahead. He hates the lying fox, how he tricked his kind friend. And again, we get like that little tug of war that appears where it's like the king's... He like, If there is a kingly character or a leader character... They they want to maintain that like sense of um, honor, chivalry, chivalry, honor. Yeah. Well, okay. So technically, so I learned something about what <laughs> chivalry actually means. Well, actual like okay, correction. Honor culture and chivalric culture are two completely different beasts. Because <laughs> beast. Because chival chivalry culture was specifically for if you owned a horse. So chivalric <laughs> culture is a completely different beast, whereas like. Um, it's like chivalric culture is not good. It's not good. Like the more you look into actual like history of chivalric culture, because like, for most... if you owned a horse, it meant you were wealthy, and so you had to follow a specific code of a uh, code when dealing mm-hmm. with anybody who didn't own a horse because you were riding a death machine. Pretty much. Well, not just that, but it was like a matter of like pride. Like you know how you know like toxic masculinity today. Yeah. That was chivalry. Like, it was the epitome of what toxic masculinity is and what we don't want it to epitome. be. Epitome. And epitome. The, uh, is that epitome? 
epitome. It was the epitome. Um, can you tell I read a lot and don't always hear certain words said out loud? I used to pronounce it epitome. It's the only reason I know it's pronounced epitome is because somebody corrected me. Yeah, well, I think epitome sounds better. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but Annihilation. But we... <laughs> But here we have, like, Gale, who is ostensibly a king, question mark, of a nebulous region, question, question mark, mark, question mark, nebulous, question mark, many question marks. But here he is faced with creatures who are, like, starving, but clearly, like, not good creatures. Like, I'm sorry. I have no respect for him. He's an idiot. <laughs> like, he's trying to follow his code, but... Even the Bible says, hey, when, like, something bad's happening, you can defend yourself. You can say no, and you can do a murder if it's to save your people. <laughs> you know, but Brian didn't think that far or hard into this. It's true. Like, someone in the server did point out, like, we have to remember, like, this is a series for, like, older kids and younger teenagers. No, this and was a yes, series for children children brian specifically wrote this for children yeah and i know but we're also like this is a podcast written by adults for adults so we're gonna do the over analysis thing because that's the whole reason we're here and we're having fun doing it and that's the whole reason everybody else is here you know why you're here (laughs) you know why you're here (laughs) we've been gone for a few months okay let us have this (laughs) we're gonna be a bit squirrely this first episode apologies everyone (laughs) 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 It's <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh yeah it's it i i understand part of why he's using this kind of stuff because it's it's we've we've hashed over this a couple of times it's the very black and white nature of good versus evil obviously someone who is a good is going to try to be honorable and offer aid to someone even if like they may not think that the per- the other person is honorable. And mm. I can understand wanting to make sure that like that lesson is comes across to kids. It's, it's very easy to kind of slip into, well, this person looks scraggly and scruffly and bad, and so I don't want to help them. And that can very easily bring you into a very classist exactly. and ableist mindset. Because like, a-, a thing that... Um, I was taught from a very young age is like, it doesn't matter what a homeless person looks like or why they need money. You should, if you have the money to spare, give it to them. Mm -hmm. Be kind. Not to mention that, um, not to mention that this also plays into not just classic fairy tale mythology, but like Christianized fairy tale mythology, being the good person, being the, the kind person. And then it plays into it where um, the per- like the the evil person will come. They will betray that trust. They will betray that kindness, which is then turned around so that they get their comeuppance at the end of the story, and that makes the comeuppance all the more satisfying because they were the ones who did the betrayal. Something, something, Beauty and the Beast. Yes. <laughs> didn't want to, the the seven year old didn't want to help the old crone. He wasn't seven! People always say that. He I'm making seven. a joke. I know he wasn't seven. Just yells at everyone. He's like, duh, teehee, he was seven. It's like, did you even look at the illustrations? Anyway. Magic Disney bullshit. Uh, that's because Disney's versions of the stories are not good. 
Um, well, I mean, some of them are. They do. The, so I like some of the retellings. So, yeah, but then there's other ones where they don't think too hard about the words that they're saying. <laughs> they don't Which know. is why everybody thinks that Beast was a child. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> Rab's memories are interrupted by a blackbird carrying a red cloth. It is, a, it is the signal for the rescue. It was time to battle. Cut to... <laughs> Hard cut. Hard cut to, and I need everybody to be prepared for this. If you didn't read and you're just listening, Mary Ellen Danden. Yeah, 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 yeah. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them, 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 them. Uh, so I'm like watching. I'm like I just followed like another account where it's this guy who just does. Um, he puts out treats and snacks and puzzles for crows. Uh-huh. And it's just like. The crows are here. And then like a little brrrring sparkles. And I'm just like, ah, Mariel and Danden are here. <laughs> uh, they are trapped under a hot and merciless sky with nary a drop of water left between them. They lament the lack of water and the fact that they only have two dry oat cakes to eat. And to add insult to injury, said oat cakes are four seasons old. <laughs> Because they're from when they left Redwall four seasons ago. Like, this is such a good way for Brian to establish where we are in the timeline. It is. I'm very much enjoying that we have these books that are fairly close in proximity to each other, like, timeline-wise. Yeah. Because you get a lot of Redwall books that are very much, like, just way out there timeline-wise. That's been a lot of the books... Except for like the first, the, the the first two, Mossflower is way in the past, and then we've got all these ones that are just kind of bunched up together. Uh, I Martin the Warrior counts because it was being told by. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's interesting and nice to see this. It, we're getting a little bit more of a concrete view into how time works, mm-hmm. uh, which is still bad. How long is the season? Eh. A yeah, season. Yeah. A season is as seasons are as seasons do. Is it a year? Is it a season? Who knows? Uh, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. Anyway, since they have nothing to eat and nothing to drink, they settle on sleeping instead. They'll move on come nightfall when the blaring sun has set. Dandan mutters longingly about the drinks at Redwall until a sharp swat of Mariel's haversack hushes them up. Well, after a little bit more back and forth banter. Anyway, they are the bestest of friends. They're besties, your honor. They're, they're, they are besties. They love each other so much. They are cucumbers, your honor. They are cucumbers. I was, I was going to make the queer platonic partner joke. <laughs> I beat you to it. They're ah. cute because you're the fucking queer platonic nerd. <laughs> so, Mariel wakes up to the dark night. Warned by her instincts to stay still, some beast is trying to steal their haversack from under her head. And as soon as it is, like, just slipped out from under her head, she leaps up, preventing the theft with a firm foot on the bag, and clocks the thief out cold by fleeing one of the stale oatcakes. Like, the thief tries to flee, and she grabs one of the oatcakes and just gets him right between the ears. She, she like, hits him like a discus, just, like, fing! Just... Dandan wakes up befuddled. 
And the two go to inspect the potential robber, and Mariel is dismayed to find that it is a young hedgehog, essentially a dippin'. Yep. Uh, Danden, though, compliments her aim, because it's Danden, uh, looking at the solid bump between the hedgehog's ears. Mariel is tearful with guilt, but Danden soothes her. The hedgehog is already waking up, and the oatcake has not a dent in it. I love this. He's just like, wow, good aim. And she's like, I killed him. <laughs> I fucked up so bad. I dropped something on the floor. Hold on. It's okay. I love Mariel. She's so good. She is. She's just like, I didn't mean to kill him. Oh, wait. It makes me think of like um, Charlie Brown when he puts the <laughs> like Christmas bulb on the tree. I killed it. Oh. <laughs> I got a rock. <laughs> I got a rock. <laughs> Oh, poor, uh, poor Linus, you didn't tell me you were going to kill it! <laughs> we learned that the hedgehog's name is Bully Pintips, and he is a sassy little fellow. Uh, he doesn't remember they're the ones who knocked him out and even threatens them with the oatcake, or a rock as he calls it, when Dandon teases him. Uh, Mariel isn't having Bully's lip, though. She grabs him by his snout, like, basically lifts him up by it, and introduces herself and Danden, and threatens two more lumps on his head if he doesn't behave. Letting him go, she, Mariel- She goes from, like, I like how we get to see the dichotomy of Mariel sometimes. Like, she goes from, like, the tender, loving, like, I care about kids to, oh, this kid's a little shit. I'm gonna teach him a lesson. <laughs> she, she is a warrior first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love her. I also do. Letting him go, Mariel asks what he's doing out here alone. Like, where are his parents? And he explains that he's never had parents and has been the slave of two weasels, but had escaped. Danden, who Bully keeps calling Mr. Dandy, asks where the weasels are. And Bully says only half a night's walk south, he'd only just escaped. Danden also asks, do they have supplies? Oh, yes, a plenty, seeing as they rob travelers. So Danden and Mariel decide to pay the weasels a visit. Bully is delighted when he learns of their plans. Remember, kids, stealing is okay if it's already been stolen. I mean... <laughs> I know. Who's going to use it if they, get the, if they run the weasels off? Like, this is me 100% joking. <laughs> as, as somebody who, who, who has done... <laughs> The horse from over the garden wall voice. I want to steal. <laughs> people keep making that joke at me in real life because I keep saying that people should steal things. Oh, jeez. As he... a joke. As a joke. Yeah. And they're like, you're like that horse from over the garden wall. We're just hearing you say, I want to steal in the background. I'm just like, yep, that's me. <laughs> so we come upon the two weasels trying and failing to make tea and to cook pancakes. That Bully because... had prepped the night before, because obviously, the vermin can't ever cook ever, ever, which is stupid and doesn't make any sense, but okay, Brian, sure. <sighs> Brian, your classism is showing. Uh, uh... Which is wild, considering he was a dock worker for so long. Well, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, isn't there also a running gag that, like, um... Like, galley chefs are kind of sketchy. I mean, yeah, but that's... <laughs> I'm... Listen, as... Okay, listen, kid. Come closer. Come closer to me for a second. Just, okay, 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 listen, okay, listen, okay, listen, okay, listen. okay. All right, okay. listen. As a, as a Navy, yeah, as a Navy brat, I can tell you, I can tell you. Uh, that's not a joke. 
<laughs> oh only, no! When you only have so much food and only so many different kinds of foods, you gotta get creative. And sometimes your creativity, oh, it's bad. Oh uh, no! My dad's version of food sometimes was not great, and neither was my mom's because she was also a navy brat. Oh, I'm so, guessing you guys ate a lot of shit on a shingle. Yeah. <laughs> or depression For- food. For those who don't know, uh, shit on a shingle is a loving nickname. It's another name for sloppy joes. It's beans on toast. um, Yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of sloppy joes, beans, stuff like that, and, like, stews and soups and things, whatever you could put together. Like, uh, kitchen sink stew was definitely a thing in our house. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. They're failing to make tea and cook pancakes that Bully had prepped the night before. They grumble and plan to beat him when they catch him later. Uh, Bully, though, puts a stop to those cruel plans by cheekily appearing right in the camp. They threaten to beat him, but one tells his partner to wait. They want breakfast first. So Bully obediently begins making breakfast. He starts making the tea and cooking the pancakes. And then Mariel just wanders into camp, playing an innocent fool. And it's very obvious to the reader that this is a play. Like, you you know it because you know the characters. But, like, we know Mariel at this point. Yeah. She, like she just not like this. strolls in, smiling goofily. She's like, morning! Lovely day, isn't it? Any breakfast going spare for a hungry traveler? And so, I love their... I actually didn't write their names down, but I love the names of these two weasels. It's Spurge and Agric. Yeah, they're pretty good. The vermin names in this particular book are actually pretty good. Yeah! I am mildly impressed. I'm not going to give Brian a whole lot of credit, but I am mildly impressed that we don't have another rag ear yet. Agreed. Uh, I mean, we're, we're definitely going to just, he does a good job. And I feel bad because I already gave up on, um, I already gave up on writing most of their names down because most of them disappear within two pages anyway. Yeah. So the weasels are beside themselves with glee. The captive is returned. And here comes another dunce who's even doing the work of making more breakfast because they said if she wants to have breakfast, she needs to help. Their food stores are over there under that rock if she can start making something. So she starts making a refreshing fruit salad. And then she calls out a coded verse and it's Dandon's turn to come swaggering in. If you would like to read the coded verse. Morning's risen and breakfast's here. Eat my friends and be of good cheer. And so Dandon comes in and he bullies the weasels and has Mariel and Bully eat up first. He's like, ah, guests first, and then you can eat. And he's also like showing off his dagger the whole time. Yeah, he is every inch the mouse warrior. Um, The pair of weasels are not so bold now with an obviously confident warrior sitting right between them. Uh, They play with the weasels a little bit more, very cat and mouse uh, in mm-hmm. a fun way. Dandon asking Bully if robbers are good cooks. And with Bully saying no. And some robbers, they were slavers too. And made little ones do all the work. Dandon asks a pair if they w- were such a pair of robbers. And of course the weasels lie and say no, no, no. Not us. No. <laughs> no. Never in our lives. Like they're just <laughs> sweating furiously. Like oh no. Oh god. What's happening? No. We're perfectly respectable. So Dandon picks up the switches that they'd planned to beat Bully with and asks Mariel, these two seem to be telling the truth. And Mariel says, ah, they seem respectable to her, all while tying knots into the heavy rope that had bound Bully. And she shows them what she can do with the rope by cracking nuts, explaining how she'd owned one just like it ages ago, and how she'd used it on dishonest beasts. 
But these two aren't dishonest, are they? And they're, like, so worried that she's gonna, like, she just cracked these nuts and they're like, she's gonna crack our nuts, oh god! It's a, it's a, I love the, the description here. Whack, smack, crack, thud, bang, splat! It's Thank you, Dr. Good. Seuss. Thank you. It's so good. <laughs> I'm just the if this were a different kind of book, it would definitely be the weasels internally. No, our balls. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think for older readers, I mean, uh, okay. Correction. The implication is it's their heads. You know, she's definitely yes. like implying I'm going to do this to your heads. But like you said, older readers are going to go, oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> that's <dear."> their balls. <laughs> that's their nuts. It's their nuts. Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> That has nothing to do with this. It's just the weird association. (laughs) (laughs) We start making Dylan P. Hall's jokes. Listen, I've made two recipes from his book so far, and both have been fantastic. So we've made the peanut butter bread, and it is so good. Oh, it's so good, Kit. It's so dense, but it's so good. Oh, it's so good. Uh, especially warm. You get it a little toasty, like you slice after it's cooled. Stop you it! You're it. making me hungry. Let's you go. Let's go. Let's go. Bit. So no. yeah, uh, Bully comes to the weasel's rescue, saying, "Of course they were good. Hadn't they given them breakfast after all?" Uh, the the two get the hint and hand over all the stolen food that they could, stuffing it into like the haversack. And Dandan gives them, you know, Dandan. They're not cruel. Uh, Dandan mm. gives the pair enough food for a day and lets them know that Dandan and company were going south. So the weasels mutter they're going north. Yeah. Uh, the trio leave the crestfallen slavers to their camp, marching southward. Uh, once well away, Mariel muses what they'll be doing with Boley. He counters that they'll be doing nothing. He's a warrior like them now, all while tossing <laughs> the four-year-old oatcakes. <laughs> and this next still bit is... they're stones i love that and 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 this next bit is so cute because it's just this fun comedy of danon and mariel taking turns asking if he has what it takes to be a warrior it's not just a fierce face or a gentle heart or being handsome or stern and every time they say a new thing bully like scrunches up and like changes his like his mannerisms to try and like mimic it and it is it has uh, Dandon and Mariel just absolutely losing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're trying so hard not to lose it because they don't want him to think they're making fun of him. Right, but he is being like, very funny because children are fucking funny. <laughs> they're funny, but also like, you know, their egos are so fragile. They are so fragile. But I love And not in guy. a mean way. It's like kids are oh. still learning. And when people they look up to laugh at them, they're like, oh no, I fucked up. Yeah, so, like, so, they're still teasing, but in a loving, gentle way. Definitely, like, older sibling level. Uh, yeah. Bully laments that it's a lot of work looking like a warrior. He's comforted by his two new companions, and the trio march south. Uh, I love I love Bully so much. I love this kid. He's a good kid. Fastest Dibbon companion introduction as well. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not even, like, a full 20 pages in yet, and we've already got the Dibbon. Yep. He's going to be traveling with us. So and now, you know what? I don't mind it. I actually quite like this little guy. He's fun. And he's not baby baby. Yeah. He's young enough to still be a kid, but old enough to be somewhat independent. I mean, he Competent. has experienced the trauma of being a slave. So Yes. He knows how to fight. Yeah. So 
Now we move on to Castle Floret, with Queen Serena and her husband sitting in the grand dining hall of their occupied castle. Queen Serena is watching her little son Truffin, who is kept separated from uh, his parents, with only his badger maid Muta to keep an eye on him and protect him. She wonders how it's only been a season since the foxes took over. Her husband had let them in, not wanting the pride of his castle dented by denying beasts in need. Again, Which is the thing that Redwall has also fallen prey to. Because uh, mm-hmm. that's Redwall's thing. If you need help and mean no harm, you can come in. Exactly. But very often do they actually not mean any harm. Yeah. 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 Slagger. Yep. It only took two days after the Otterguard left for the foxes to take over. They tricked Muda and locked her away, and then had taken Truffin hostage. Gale had let the drawbridge down, and the rats in. And we finally get uh, um, descriptions of Nagru and Silvermord. Uh, Nagru is a large blue fox wearing a wolf pelt whose claws have been replaced with iron hooks to serve as weapons for him. And Silvermord is white and silver, wearing only a skirt of animal tails sewn with crystals. And I also realize not everyone knows what a blue fox is. Basically, that is a fox with a black or silver or like a, like a darker coat. They are technically called blue foxes. Yeah, he, lo- he basically... He looks dark. Fox with wolf color. Yes. Uh, the pair feast and Nagru demands a rat to play him a song. And that is on page 25. Let me keep it. Here we go. You should absolutely read it to the tune. <laughs> I don't know if I can, but let's see. Where do you come from? Where do you go? From tundras of white and bright sunrises few. Across mountains and forests or seas wise and blue. The one that I call Foxwath, the Ergen Negru. It works! It works! It is 100% <laughs> supposed to be caught by Joe! <laughs> I did also read it as Cotton Eye Joe when I was reading it, so it's very funny. It has to be intentional. It has to be! Because Cotton Eye Joe is old. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. While the rat sings, Negru asks Gale if he knows why he's called Foxwolf. Gale doesn't answer, and he knows Nagru will answer himself, and he does, boasting how he's the only fox who's slain a wolf. No beast can beat him. He mocks the Squirrel King further, saying how he'd taken the wolf's name, turned it backwards, and became Ergen Nagru, and how the squirrel's hate was like raindrops on the sea to him. Weak beasts were no threat at all. Silvermord, meanwhile, decides to mock the mute Muta. The badger could not speak at all besides odd barks, and the fox hates how devoted she is to the young squirrel. So she takes the hat and cloak from a singing rat, and the hat is basically like a little jester hat with little bells on it, uh, and demands Muta wear them and dance to entertain them. Muta simply glares until Silvermord threatens to hurt Truffin. Once that happens, Muta gets up and does an odd little dance. Silvermord orders the rat to play again, and he does, the rat horde laughing at her attempts to keep up with the music. While the foxes are distracted, Gale tells Serena the escape plan. They are to leap out the window marked with the red cloth into the moat where otters will be waiting for them. 
Before she can confirm if she heard him or not, a bark from Muta grabs their attention. Little Truffin, too young to understand the mockery being heaped on Muta, sees it only as one of the games she plays with him. So he dances with her, and her humiliation turns into glee. Nagru mocks his mate, and she orders the music stopped. Using the squabble between mates, the squirrel monarchs gather their son and Muta, declaring they'll take him to nap time. Silvermord tries to stop them, but Nagru says to let them go, flicking yet another damson at her after having flicked many of them. This riles them both up, and chaos ensues. Uh, in the haste of the moment, though, Serena calls out that she sees the red cloth, and Gale is captured, ordering Muta to, uh, to leap and save his family. Okay, can I do say, though, that I love how, I love how, um, loved little Treffin is, like, the fact that he's so young and so loved that he sees Muta dancing, and he doesn't know that, like, he can't tell that she's crying, he just sees her dancing, and he thinks, oh, it's time to play, it's time to have fun, Mm-hmm. And just the fact that he starts dancing with her takes what would have been just like this awful humiliating experience and gives her joy because now she's making this child happy in this horrible, awful situation, being forced to just demean herself. Suddenly this little child she loves so much is there dancing and playing with her. Yeah, it's good. So, the Squirrel King goes down under the horde of rats. Muta manages to get the queen and her son out by literally throwing them out of the window. Yeah, Um, just yeet the royalty! With enough time to turn and see her odds to save Gale, and she knows that it's hopeless. So Muta turns to try and leap out the window, but Silvermord grabs onto her. Muta leaps, vixen and all, into the air. She manages to get the vixen under her in the moat and makes her escape. Silvermord panics, nearly drowning in the thick mud. When she reaches the surface, she hollers and demands help from the rats swarming over the drawbridge. And, and they do try. Terrifying. Yeah. Uh, they like, do her try. face is shoved into the mud. Sorry to interrupt yeah. again, but like, her face is shoved into the mud. Yeah, Muta steps on her. Yeah. Uh... So the rats do try and save her, one of them accidentally half-stunning her in his enthusiasm, uh, and finally manage to get her bedraggled self to the edge of the moat. Nagru and her exchange a few sharp words, and he takes two score of rats to chase the escapees. Uh, before he does that, though, he does knock Silvermord back into the moat. Like, just like, well, here's an opportunity to put one in her eye, so, bonk. Like, why are you two mates if you hate each other so much? Yeah. Brian. Uh, reasons. (sighs) Because Roman can't be happy. I can never be happy. Never. Uh, do you want to read this? I will in a second. Like, he does also do, like, a really good job of combining, like, terror and humor at the same time because like this is a very tense moment but like the fact she just gets like smushed into the moat and their whole exchange is very amusing mm-hmm. okay and what what did you want to ask oh no i was gonna that was what i was gonna ask if you wanted to like say that <laughs> yeah i did yeah just he he does the comedy and the tension at like some books he does a really good job and again like i feel bad because like this book the start of this book it's like i have no strong feelings either way but 
I do admit that this book probably has the best balance of humor to tension so far. Like I'm, I'm entertained even if I don't have any strong feelings. I mean, it's a I don't red have wall any book. bad feelings. So yeah, it's a red wall book. <laughs> That's what it is so far. Like the, the, the opinion is, ah, this is a red wall book. It's not mm -hmm. a bad red wall book. It's just a red wall book. Mm -hmm. So four otters haul the three escapees along. Truffin riding on the shoulders of a young lad named, uh, well, Trout Lad. Yeah. And they hurry along as fast as they can. Nagru can keep track of them from a high spot. One of his rats says it's hopeless. They're too long gone. Without hesitation, Nagru slays the rat with its own sword. I feel like we need, like, I hate some distance, but I feel like we need that ding! First henchman death. <laughs> Cinema Sins ding. God. Yeah. Like, get rid of Cinema Sins, keep the ding. <laughs> Uh, the rats, uh, the horde rats moan, but Nagru has no time for their fear. He sets up a pincer movement and says a slow rat is a dead rat in his horde. Rab and the six otters on top of the hill harry the pincer movement, buying time for the former captives. Rab's marksmanship is quick and deadly, single-handedly forcing Nagru to hide behind a tree and terrifying the horde into confusion. Nagru says that it's only one otter, and Rab agrees but try and pass him. Serena grabs, uh, reaches Rab's mate, Iris, and asks her what's to become of Gale and Rab. Iris tells her to move along. Gale's out of their hands at the moment, and Rab's giving his life for this rescue, so she must let herself be rescued. Rab demands they go, even as he's down to three arrows and being surrounded by rats. Muta, full of rage, grabs a large branch that is essentially the size of a tree mm -hmm. and joins Rab in the fight. She manages to knock Nagru tail over a tea kettle and he howls at his horde to kill her and Rab. The two fight back to back as the rats close in. And we're like, Badger, Blood Rage, let's go! It's a... on social media you can follow us on tumblr and reddit at abby archives and if you would like to help support this podcast you can find us on coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash hs enclave this podcast is part of hearthside enclave and some other shows you might like are hope's hearth a solar hope punk actual play podcast and post-apocalyptic news radio a fallout inspired audio drama